You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. All right, hey, it's so good to be back with you guys. I heard they canceled classes today. For me? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. I feel so at home. I barely made it on time today. Now, like the first day you show up early, or you know, now I was like 15 minutes later. Tomorrow I'm lucky to show up right on time. But now it's great to be here. I love being with you guys. We've got another 24 hours. Tonight is going to be fun too. Uh, and by the way, you guys are doing so awesome. You, yes. You. <laughs> Do you guys feel bad for them? Like she's got a cramp at the end of the session. You need to eat bananas before I start speaking, right? The potassium for her muscles. Anyway, it's good to be here. Hey, we're going to talk about money, but not really about money. That's sort of how it's pitched, but you're going to see in a second. We're talking about the difference Jesus makes, the Jesus difference. So we started yesterday with a necessary message about your mental health, and then last night was a really convicting message on... Um, what did we talk about last night? On um, your love life, right, <laughs> on sex. It's easy to remember that, but we really talked about love. But uh, today we're going to talk about money, and it's an encouraging message. So if you're like, man, I could use encouragement, th- this is going to be a fun message for you. Um, and it's simple, so money, stuff, simple. I-, I won't refer to any, you know, business majors here. But no, I'm just teasing, guys. I'm just teasing. You guys are like, okay, find another joke. All right, let me, let me read you Mark chapter 6 while we do that. And then what I'm going to do is this. Jesus and my bank account is what I called it. And I know, I know, I know what you guys are thinking. Man, what bank accounts? Right? It, listen, it starts right now. You're going to see in a minute. See, a lot of us think that someday when I have a lot of money, I'll start worrying about money. But uh, you're going to see in a second, money is not about money. It's about your heart. And where yesterday evening we talked about satisfaction, really, love, sex, satisfaction. This is a message about security. Money is about security. Money is about being comfortable. Money is about uh, finding your, what the world would say, finding your rest because you have enough in the nest egg so that if something goes bad, you're going to be okay. And Gen Z is interesting because I think everybody worries about money, but you are very socially responsible and conscious is what I'm told. I don't know if it applies to everybody in this room, but most of you. But, but the truth is that you worry about things like inflation and recession and what you're going to do, debts. And a lot of people aren't going, for, for example, the field that I've chosen, medicine, a lot of people are no longer going to medical school because they don't want to accrue the debt. It's, it's smart, although it's sad in a way, because we're letting so much of finances dictate what we do. But, but for the Christian, we have a secret weapon, so to speak. His name is Jesus, right? He's more than a secret weapon, but I'm just saying, like, God will make a way if he wants you to do something. And we're going to see that through this story. By the way, I know you've heard these, potentially these things before, but in case you haven't, Jesus talked a lot about money. 11 out of 39 parables were about money. 11 out of 39. I mean, I'm not great at math, but that's like 25% of the parables were about money. That's a lot for someone who just did three years in ministry. In fact, I think I looked up today, 500 verses in the Bible are on uh, prayer, and, or, or I guess it, that Jesus talked about. Maybe I didn't read that carefully, but in the Bible about prayer and faith compared to over 2,000 on money. That must be in the whole Bible, not just Jesus's words. But that's a, just to give you sort of a balance of like, money has been a big element of conversation in scripture because money is rooted in what we believe and where we put our security. 
I remember the first time I got a paycheck after, I mean, I'd gotten little paychecks, summer camps, I counseled, different things like that when I was going through uh, medical school. And, and, and finally, I graduated from medical school. And a lot of people think, wow, doctors, you guys make a lot of money. Well, uh, newsflash, there's a, I did six years of training as a fellow, as first as a resident and then as a fellow. And so the first paycheck you get is, as a doctor is actually not very big. And I remember it was like somewhere around $27,000 a year. And so I was living in Houston at the time. And I think I got my paycheck, something paltry, like a couple, maybe a thousand every two weeks. It was not a lot, maybe 1,400, but it was enough that I felt so rich. And I remember the sign for me of richness, I went to the grocery store and I would get the basics and I remember going through the line and seeing like a few daisies, you know how they sell them for two bucks at the grocery store and I thought, my goodness, I'm so rich I could afford the daisies. That's what I used to think of as awesome, right? I mean, honestly, like I'm now 25 years into my practice, I've come a long way since then, I can now buy two packs of daisies, but, but no, I'm kidding. God has been very faithful to me, but, 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 but we think that one once I get that job, or once I get that career, or once I get whatever it is that you're aiming for, uh, everything will be perfect. Well, uh, here's, here's Jesus' perspective on money through this story that happens, this miracle that we see, which is probably one of the top five favorite miracles in Scripture. If you think about your miracles that you like the most, I think this one lines up there. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, we're going to talk about Jesus and my bank account when my need is deeper than I have when my need is deeper than I have. Now, that should be a familiar feeling for many of you students here. You might not have a lot in your bank account, so you understand the feeling of there's a need that I can't meet. We heard a testimony last night of, a, of one of the students who came up and, and gave testimony of what God had done through a financial situation, and she was giving glory to God. It's easy to see God at work in the area of money, which is why I believe often we are put in places of financial pressure, because it's an easy way to see God move. At least it's been in my life. Uh, it's, it's easy to see him move, but it's hard for us to get to the place where we see him move. And so the apostles, they were with Jesus on that day in verse, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles, the, the disciples, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So they had been, remember, Jesus sent out the disciples to go preach the gospel for a while. He said, go two by two, and they saw some amazing results. They were tired. They came back from ministry. And so he took them aside to rest. And it says, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late... His disciples got hangry. <laughs> it says that his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. You guys been at that party where you're like, guys, everyone needs to go home. And that's where they were. They were like emotionally tired. They were spent. And so he said, they said to Jesus, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Remember, that was the little boy with five and two fish, which, by the way, little footnote, but there's got to have been other people in the crowd with food that day. But only the little boy volunteered his meal. 
And so he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So the estimation is that there may be 15,000 in the group if you estimate women and kids, I don't know, but it was at least 5,000. And here's what I wanna do today. When my need is deeper than I have, I'm gonna give you five points as we uh, make our way through this text and hopefully encourage you. Here's the first, uh, when you are faced with need, don't be so surprised. When you are faced with need, why are Christians so shocked when we face need? We will never run out of need just because we're with Jesus. I think there's this lie that's somehow propagated in the Christian world that if somehow you're a good Christian, like you're not gonna have need. Look, I'm not saying God won't provide your need, but need will arise. In fact, need is an invitation for God to do a work. We'll get to that in a moment. But just because you're facing need does not mean that your faith is weak. Here were the disciples who themselves had given their lives to, to Jesus. They'd given away their businesses. Think about it. Peter and his brother gave away their business. They, didn't, they left the family business, and so they had a steady source of income, and now they gave it up in order to follow Jesus. What did they expect? Well, they expected at least not to be hungry with 5,000 people sitting around hungry. So they thought, man, at least let's go and do something about this. But, but we often, I found in my life, when need comes up, my first thought is, A, uh, me, I go, what have I done wrong? Right? It's like the info, I don't know if any of you are wired this way. You get a call, your first thought is, am I in trouble? And usually somebody wants to like, tell you something good, but your first thought is always like, what did I do? Why do we have that sense of guilt? But the second thing when you have need is like, God, why aren't you here for me? Sort of like what we talked about yesterday. And so, of course, yesterday we talked about anxiety, and a lot of that need brings out that anxiety in our hearts. But as long as we're alive, we will never run out of need. Whether you're making $20 in an entire year, or whether you're making $2 million in an entire year, there will always be need. We live in a needy world. There's people in need everywhere. It's amazing to me, like when there's disasters happening. By the way, you guys are very interested in, in social stu stuff that happens when you see the earthquakes, when you hear about tsunamis, when you see things, wars in the Ukraine. You go, man, what is my little bit going to do? And we're always sort of overwhelmed by the need, but it's there. And I think we can sort of either lean into it too much where it compresses us in fatigue, or we can neglect it and say, man, it's so big, I can't deal with it. So the disciples, they wanted out. Their thought was, well, there's a huge need. Well, guys, y'all go eat dinner and, and we'll worry about our things. And so here's the second principle. First of all, don't be surprised if you've got a lot of need. Uh, listen, uh, here's a little tidbit. Need is Jesus's jam. That's his jam, that's what he does. Need is his thing. If you have need, great. But here's a second point. When you are faced with need, don't try to run from it. Y'all have that needy friend, right? And I know about boundaries. I'm not talking about boundaries, but I'm talking about the fact that when, when we're faced with need, what often we want to do is sort of close our eyes to it or, or sort of, you know, kind of skirt it, avoid it. I mean, growing up, you know, to this day, when we go to Lebanon or to other countries that you've traveled, you see the beggars on the side of the road, and we're trained. Like, you don't, don't, you know, just don't sort of, don't talk to them. Don't give them, if you give them some, they're going to want more. And so the disciples were very human in their response. They hadn't learned yet all that Jesus was and is and means to accomplish. And so their thought is, well, let them go eat, and then we can figure out what we're going to eat. 
See, it's easier to hide than to give, especially when you think you don't have enough. You ever been in that place? You're like, I'm going to give them when I can barely meet my needs. The disciples had nothing. Jesus says, what do you have? They said, nothing. So it's easier to hide than to give. It's easier to hoard than to share. You go, I'm trying to be responsible. If I put it in the bank, it's going to accrue interest, and then I won't be in trouble. And then if there's a greater need next year, then I'm going to be able to help them. But that's not the Jesus way. And here's the other thing. It's easier to worry than to ask. It's easier to worry. All of us are experts at warriors. But, but, but asking Jesus, what if they had come to Jesus instead of saying, God, send him away. Jesus, send him away. We don't have enough. What if they had said to him, Jesus, man, you're the guy who healed the paralyzed man. You're the guy who opened the eyes. We were just on a mission trip. We saw all these things. So that's where they were two by two going to preach the gospel. Why didn't they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can't you feed them? But it didn't even occur to them to ask. Why? Because it's easier to worry than to ask. How much time are you worrying rather than asking God to provide? And so when you're faced with need, don't try to run from it. Engage yourself. You're not too young to engage. You're not too broke to engage. You're not too resourceless to engage. And here's a third idea. When you're faced with need, give God all that you have. When you're faced with need, give God all that you have. You say, what does that mean? Well, um, I find it fascinating that they looked at a crowd of five to 15,000. Uh, they needed to eat. And so Jesus very pointedly says, what do you have? And they go and look and, and imagine this. I mean, if I asked for a mint out of this group, really one person would have one mint? Like, it almost has that. How many of you have mints, by the way? There's at least a few of you. How many of you are willing to give it, right? And so here's, out of this whole crowd, one kid comes up. He's like, I had my lunch. Now, a polite thing would have been what? I mean, there's five, I mean, think, guys, business major, wake up for a minute. You've got like 15,000 people, and then you've got a bag of five fish and two. Is that going to be enough? Uh, humanly speaking, not enough, right? We all can, can recognize that. Now, but the polite thing would have been what? For Jesus to say what? Okay, guys, why don't I take one fish and two bread and give the cute little boy the rest of his meal? Right? I mean, think about it. That would have been the nice thing to do. He could have still reproduced that. Jesus reproduced food enough for 15,000 people. But instead of just taking half the meal and doing the miracle, he takes all of it. I made that point last night, and I have to make it every time I talk about Jesus. Listen, Jesus wants everything we have. Everything. You go, man, well, how? He only wants 10%. Where do we come up with that? That was an Old Testament ritual where Abraham gave him 10%, but if you don't recognize that every cent that you have belongs to God Almighty, he's the one who gave you breath today. You go, man, no, it's my talents. I'm the one who shows up to work every day. Who do you think woke you up this morning? Your heart is ticking moment by moment. Or not, if you're not, wake up, man, over here. Think about it. Think about the brain that God has given you to become an entrepreneur. Show me some of you right now are making side hustles and you're making money on the side. And you're like, man, you don't understand. God's not doing that. I'm doing it. Listen, be careful if that's you. In a second, God could change the scenario in your life. But he doesn't. Why doesn't he? Because he's a God of grace. He loves us. He's given us brains and oxygen. And, and, and some have more obvious, you know, disabilities than others. And even those, I met yesterday a young man who was astounding. He's studying to be a minister to deaf people. And I'm like, man, I look at these guys like, how? How do you do this? I can't even, I move my hands. Nobody can understand what I'm saying. 
Our very existence is a testament that there's a God who has graced us with more than we deserve. But that same God invites us into relationship with him. And when he does, he says, man, I need all that you have. Now, he doesn't force you to follow him. You don't have to. You can be here and say, not me. I'm not one of them. All right. He's given you that right. But you're also not going to be part of the great big miracle in a minute. And you're also going to have to answer to that God Almighty someday. So if you're here in chapel and you're like, man, I'm, I, don't, I don't receive that God. I'm doing this on my own. First of all, be humble and be careful because your time is coming too. We all have a time. I'm, I'm now old enough to where I can sort of see life. I remember being 16 and 20 and hearing old people say, like, your life will go so quickly. And I was really like, yeah, whatever. And now I'm in that middle stage of life where I kind of go like, it really does go quickly. And you start to understand, like, I don't have that many years left. But the money situation gets harder with every passing year because you'll have more. Do you know that one of the biggest problems in American Christianity right now is money? I mean, because sex is a big problem, the numbers are high, I get it, but do you know at the heart of it? I mean, the last 10 years, we look at the patterns of celebrity Christians. I mean, they're all over. You can right now drop five or six names. You don't even have to say a last name. You could put a first name and you would know exactly who I'm talking about. And it's all about platform and money and how many dollars they're getting paid to get a, you know, they put a thing on their Instagram and they're getting paid for it. Like it's all over the place. It's a system. Our church has become a system driven by money. How have we become that when God's best work has happened in places where we have nothing? See, we think if I get enough money, my church will grow enough and my platform will grow enough. More people will hear about Jesus. But that was never the formula that Jesus used. It's always when there's nothing there that he creates something out of nothing that gives him all of the glory. Is it any wonder that we read stories like Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor, he was in college, like you guys, when, I don't know, he was a young man, I guess, 18 to 20, when he used to work uh, at trade, that he used to train in and work. And, and, and he was so convicted that he wanted to see God meet his need, that he wouldn't even ask his boss for a paycheck. And his boss was sort of airheaded, and so the guy would forget to pay him. And he wouldn't even ask, he would just pray. He figured if I can learn to pray now when I have nothing, then when I'm over in the mission field, I'll learn to see God move. And now here we are like 50, 60, 70 years later, we read about the, bio the biographies of Hudson Taylor. We're astounded by his faith. We go, how? Hard people like George Mueller and Hudson Taylor and those amazing great missionaries who have lived in the past that have stories that blow our mind. If you still read, like you should be reading those biographies because they will fuel your faith with hope. To understand that you don't need security that comes from having an MD or an MBA or whatever PhD or whatever de degree that God will allow you to have only to use it for his glory. But God wants you to have that. I'm not saying, but you will start to see that God can use you even if you can't speak, see, or hear. It's what he does best. And so when you're faced with need, give God all that you have. Now, you know, again, there's always the skeptic in every room. You're like, oh, okay. Like, I'm going to go sell my house and my clothes, and all I have left is my tattered Nikes. And, and, and so is that what God wants? I mean, be willing to give it. Maybe. You might. I've heard stories of people who have given in ways that I'm not faith-filled enough to do. And they've seen God do awesome things. Here's my fourth point. When you are faced with need... Get ready for a great big miracle. 
the more you give, the more you're gonna see God do. This is a math, simple math. You wanna see miracles? Give more. You say, but what will I have left? Who'll take care of me? The God who knows how many hairs are on your head. I lose hair on the brush every morning. I'm like, where is all this hair coming from? God still keeps track of it. It's crazy. I blame it on the brush. I want to tell you about one miracle that happened in my life that I think is so symbolic of all this. Impossible is where miracles begin. When I first started doing the work, tonight I'm going to tell a little bit more about how I got to doing the work that I'm doing. I never thought I would go do work in the Middle East. In fact, I left Lebanon thinking I'll never go back. It was, I grew up in the war. I did not want to go back to a war-torn country. I was very comfortable here. I'll give more details on that. But once I went on a mission trip early on, I started doing the work in one-week segments at the time, and we would go three or four times a year in 2015 to help Syrian refugees. And it was a huge stress because our organization just a few years ago wasn't as healthy as it is now, meaning we were broke. We're still broke-ish, but we were really broke then. And it's funny how it's all like, you know, you go, but you're a doctor. Couldn't you afford it? No, not at that level. Not at the level that we wanted to help. And so at the beginning, I was supporting a lot of the stuff, and I was really bitter about it because I had two fish and a handful of pieces of bread, and I was hungry. And the last thing I wanted to do was to give it to you. But I believed God enough, and I wanted to see God move enough that I was always wrestling with this. Do I give it to you? Well, I wanted to give you half of it or 20% of it, enough that you would know that I was loving enough, but not enough that I would be hungry too. And so every mission trip early on in the first couple of years, I would wrestle with God because I'd be like, God, really, I'm working so hard and I'm going over there and you want me to put my savings toward the work. Why aren't you providing? And I'd have this dance with God over and over again. And I remember once, uh, maybe it was the fourth trip that we went on, and, and I, um, I, I showed up to the mission trip with the team. And the dental team, their costs were always lower because, you know, you don't need to, like, you pull a tooth. You don't need to provide a lot of meds with that, whereas we needed to give a lot of medications. And so I showed up, and I knew we were way under med medicated, I guess, and we didn't have enough meds. And so I remember kind of being a little bit bitter about it and wrestling with God internally, and the team was sort of excited to be there, and they wanted to have a prayer meeting, and the last thing I wanted to do was pray. And so I wrestled with that for a minute, and I remember thinking, like, how am I going to do this? I'm the team leader, and so I didn't want to be rude, and I said, sure, we can pray. And in my head, I thought, really, God, you want us to pray? Why haven't you provided us the funding by now? We had had a Facebook campaign and had brought in a few dollars, but nowhere near what we needed. And, and so we started praying, and it was like, you guys been in those prayer requests, like prayer meetings where, like, does everybody always need to pray? Like, you know, by the sixth person, you're like, really, we could just skip, do popcorn prayers, but it was not one of those prayer meetings. It was a prayer meeting where it was like, like, like 10 minute prayers each person. And I was like starting to, you know, you know, sweat and anaphylax. And I'm like, really, God, we could like, I think you got the point. We need, we need money for meds. And so by the time the eighth person prayed, I finally, finally got to the place where I recognized how worldly I was thinking. And in that moment, I didn't have a, you know, I think a lot of times we think like, oh, I need to jump all in because that's how God will know I'm serious about it. It wasn't even like that. It was just a little tipping point where I thought, well, okay, God, you win. You're going to have to figure this out because I can't. I had given a lot, if not all, that I could give, and I felt like we still needed so much more. We finished praying, and after we finished praying, I remember getting out my phone and refreshing and when I refreshed, I saw that within minutes of the prayer request, we got a donation of $782.
Now, I got to tell you the truth. I was annoyed a little. And I'm going to tell you why, business majors, because who gives 782? Like, don't you round off if you're a giver? Like, why would you do that, right? So I was a little irked. Like, God, come on, either 800 or 780 or 750, but like, what's up with that? And so I texted my assistant back and I said, why do you think they gave 782? I was perplexed enough by it that I shared it with the group. I go, guys, look, we got a donation, 782. By the way, we, that was well short of the amount that we still needed. And so part of my also annoyance after the prayer meeting where I had given, yielded to God, just to kind of be very upfront with you because it's a wrestling. It's not, it's never, I think we think in the Christian life like it's like, oh, magic. All of a sudden, I'm going to be like, easy to give. Oh, this is so great. God is so awesome. It's a process. And so I'm wrestling with God, and I say to the team, guys, we got a donation, $780. And I took a vote. Why $782? Everybody had an opinion on it. I emailed my assistant. She said, well, I think maybe it's her tithe. And, 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 and I thought, well, that's a good, yeah, maybe it is a tithe. And so we went to bed, woke up the next morning, went to clinic, saw our usual couple of hundred patients we see in a day. We're exhausted, and every day I had a goal. If we could keep our meds under $1,000 a day, then we'll be okay. What was I doing? Security. So I have this mental idea of what needs to happen, and if everything sticks to the agenda, then we'll be okay. So I go to the, to the pharmacy after clinic is done. We're driving back to the church, and we, I said, let's stop at the pharmacy and get the numbers. And so I'm, all I'm thinking is, God, please let it be under 1,000. That's all I'm thinking. I run into the pharmacy. I pick up some things we needed, and I asked Maze, the pharmacist. I said, hey, Maze, can you have the numbers for today? She goes, yeah, yeah, let me finish them up. I wait for a second. She gives me the sheet of paper. I take it. I jump into the van, and I look at it, and I see, by God's grace, I go, under $1,000. And the team goes, well, how much do we owe? I looked at it again, and I said, well, $782. And I didn't even sink at the beginning. I was like, wait, what? And the guy, this guy called Guy, which I always found ironic, sitting in the back row. Is there any guys here named Guy? Anyway, but nobody's called Gal, but Guy was in the back. He's, he was really a cute guy who came with us multiple times and just really helped us out. But he was in the back, and Guy goes, Lena, what did you say? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, how much came in? I said, $782. He goes, yesterday's donation was $782. When you give God everything, it doesn't always have to, you can do it kicking and screaming. You will see great, big miracles happen. That was back in 2015. We're now in 2023. Our mission work has grown to an extent now. We've got a woman center that we're launching. We've got a global side of our office that we're starting there. It's launching now. That's what we're going to do next week. We've got clinics that run year-round. There's things happening in Lebanon on the ground. We've gone to Ukraine now. Why are we in Ukraine, you might wonder. I'll tell you tonight. Come back. Plus, I'm giving away another electronic. There's a little plug for you guys to come back tonight. But, but the work has grown despite my little faith. We give our meal, we, we're, actually, we sit in church hoping that you'll give the meal, or you'll give the meal, or you'll give the meal, because we have our little fish and, and bread, but we don't want to give it because we're afraid. What if I give it and I have nothing left? We live in a hoarding capacity when God has invited us to give. Last but not least, when you're faced with need, try not to forget. When you're faced with need, try not to forget. Do you know what happens at the end of the miracle? They eat and they're satisfied. Everybody's happy. You say, how long did it last? Well, in my Bible, it lasts from this paragraph to this. Like, 
a week later, just about, we don't know how long exactly, but it wasn't that long, the disciples are again with Jesus. In chapter 8, in those days, when again a crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he calls his disciples and says to them, I have compassion on the crowd. By the way, guess what drives giving? Always it's compassion, compassion, compassion. It's compassion. How can you grow that compassion in your heart? God has to put it there. How does he put it there? Well, you enjoy his love. The more you see his love and his abundance and his goodness on your life, the more you're able to say, man, love is driving this action. Then you see your neighbors and you're no longer afraid. How am I going to make it? Will the inflation affect me? Will the recession affect me? Yeah, I'm sure it will to a certain degree, but we have a God who is greater. When we approach him with not enough, he's more than our not enough. And so these disciples now, they're in the exact same place just weeks later maybe, and they come to Jesus like, we have a problem, Houston, there's a problem here. We have no food. And Jesus is like, guys, do you not get it? Just last week, we fed 15,000 people with the two mangly fish. And so here it is again in chapter 8. The heading in my Bible says, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Why does Jesus do this? Over and over again, we see a miracle that's repeated. Remember when Peter was once in a boat and Jesus says, put the net out, and he puts the net out, and they, Peter first says, man, why are we going to put the net out? There's no fish. I've been fishing all night. There's no fish. And Jesus says, just put it out. Trust me. Puts it out. He catches a ton of fish. A couple of years go by. Now Peter's devastated over crying about denying Jesus. And Jesus shows up. And you know what he says to them? Put the net out. Why does he ask him to do it again? We see this in the Old Testament. We have a feeding of a woman, the widow. Then it happens again with Elijah. Then it happens with Elisha. Why do we see that? Because we are people who forget. Today, God will perform a huge miracle for you. And tomorrow, you'll be wondering, scratching your head, going, God, can I trust you? Are you good enough? Will you provide for me in this space? And the answer is an astounding yes. You don't need to look at my ministry to see that. We see it in our lives day in and day out. You're here because somebody trusted God with their finances. There's two ways to live. Jesus taught a lot about money, but the most memorable thing was that you cannot live for God and for money. When your need is deeper than you have, you have a choice. Do you hang on to what you have or do you give it out in faith? You want to answer to your generation's money problems, you give more. You love more. You believe more. See, so, man, how? how? How do I believe more? You know how you believe more? By giving more. Money is about the heart. It's never about a bank account. Back when I was 20-some years old, I went and bought that bit of flowers. I thought someday I'll make more money than this. I am making a lot more than $1,000 a month today. And the issues of the heart have not changed. The question that God asks me every month, will you trust me to provide for you, or are you going to insist on hustling? Will you trust me to take the little that you have and blow it up into massive amounts, or are you intent on struggling and working and wearing yourself out? And part of my brain thinks, man, if I work harder and I'll make more, I'll be able to do more. That's the world's formula. The Jesus difference is that it doesn't matter how much you have. Every story that I mentioned earlier, Mueller, Hudson, Taylor, Judson, Adoranum, Justin, whatever his name is, Amy Carmichael, you name it, Elizabeth Elliot, all the greats of the faith had nothing, and their legacy far exceeds any of the people that we're watching now explode in social media. Why? because it wasn't about them. 
It was a, about a God who is bigger than them. And so when it comes to your money and your security, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? The Jesus difference is that we'll never lack. He'll always provide for all of our needs. And so think about your life as we end. I'm going to close us in prayer. How does that line up with what you believe about the world, about God, about stuff, about influence? Are you resting on your own abilities or are you trusting the one who can do far more than you and I will ever be able to do? And so God, as we even come to this space with a very practical message and yet a message that is, God, it's, it's like, it's, I can't even understand why we doubt you. I look at my life and I think about the times when I've doubted you, how, how? Every single time I've given in faith, Lord, I, you know that, I'm talking to you. Lord, you've invited us to come into your throne room with boldness. You've invited us to talk to you like Abba Father. And so Lord, every single time I've given more than I could afford, you have done above and beyond what I could ask or think. And God, I pray for these young men and women Lord, even in saying this, the tension is to put our faith in the formula, to think that if we give, you owe us back. But that's not how you work, because the formula is always in favor of you. God, you always give so much more than we even see in our health, in our relational blessings, in the influence that we make on people that we've never even met yet. You have and continue to do far more than we can imagine. God, I even think about the work you're doing in Lebanon and I testify of it, God, not to give glory to me. In fact, if anything, Lord, I see the brokenness of my faith, but I see you, a God who over and over and over again has extended your faithfulness, your goodness, your love towards us. Lord, we are the hungry people in the scene. Sometimes we think we're just the disciples, but God, we're the hungry people waiting to be fed. Father, thank you that you're a God so faithful that you would use a little boy whose name we never know who we hopefully will meet in heaven someday to teach us about security. You're a God who's always trustable. God, thank you that you're at work even now. I ask that every person in this room who's been convicted by this message, that you would shape their lives in such a way that they would not leave the ministry someday because of financial woes, but that they would see you provide in their places of need. God, I commit these men and women to you. I ask you to do what you've promised in Ephesians 3.20, above and beyond what any of them could ask or do for the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes Store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.